Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. So I am not Matt Spear, as you can tell, uh, but I did wear sandals for you guys to make you feel more comfortable, yeah? Um, so my name is Julia Geiger. I am a member of Bridgepoint. I've been coming here for about three and a half years. I've had a couple of opportunities to speak to y'all before, and I'm really grateful to be able to do it again. It's definitely the trust that Matt puts in me to let me come up here um, and speak to y'all is a really big deal to me. It's definitely not something I take lightly. So thank you to Matt, and thank you to y'all for listening. So like I said, my name is Julia. I am a member here at Bridgepoint. I started coming at the end of 2019. Um, before I was at Bridgepoint, I was at a church in the city of Atlanta when we lived a little closer to the city. And before that church, I actually lived in Colorado, where I grew up. So I'm not a, a Georgian native, not a Southern girl native, but I, I like to think of myself as a convert. Um, I love the South, but I was uh, raised in Colorado. So when I was in Colorado, I went to you know schooling, all of that. And after high school, I took a gap year. So I didn't go to college right away. I did a program called Revolution 5, which is similar to... Uh, discipleship training school. It's basically where we all live together, we eat together, we serve the community together. I know I'm making it sound a little bit like a cult, but I promise it's not. Um, but basically, it's a program where we take classes and we learn in all the different like spheres of society how to show up and be a leader and be the light of Jesus in those spaces. We also did things that would kind of intentionally put us in tough situations or moments of high tension in order to build our character. And one of the things that did that was camping. I am not a huge fan of camping. Some people love it. I like my sleep. I'm very picky about my sleep. Like I need to have like 15 comforters and 12 pillows. Anybody else? Just me? Okay, yeah, good. Uh, so I don't, I'm not a huge fan of camping. Uh, but that was something that we did fairly often. You know, we would go out into the woods in the freezing cold and uh, it would build our character because what happens in those moments is basically, okay, now you are at the part where you're at the end of yourself. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to break or are you going to choose to trust your leadership, to trust the people around you, to carry you? Are you going to choose to trust that God is going to bring you through? Um, and it's something that actually happens, like a lot of really beautiful things happen in those moments, a lot of moments of breakthrough. So there was this one moment that I want to tell you all about. We went to a camping trip and we went to Utah to go canyoneering. And canyoneering is basically where you climb down into a canyon, you hike through the canyon all day. Uh, sometimes it's you know eight to 12 hours of hiking and then you climb out of it. And it's actually a pretty intense physical process, not just because of the eight to 12 hours of hiking, but because to get through the canyon, you have to do a lot of rock climbing and you need ropes and climbing gear and you're going down cliff sides and you're climbing up rocks. And one of the things that you have to do fairly often um, is you have to do something called stemming through uh, slots. And basically what that is, is I have a picture. So there is where you go through a slot and it's too skinny at the bottom to go through. So what you have to do is basically shimmy up to where it gets wider and then shimmy through to get to the other side. And like I said, like you have to have a strong core, you have to have strong arms, strong legs. I have never been in as good a shape as I was when I was in Rev 5. 
Um, and it was because we were preparing for moments like this. So we had this particular slot. It's not this exact one, but it looked very close to this. This is what I found on the internet. Um, we were in this canyon, funnily enough, called the Devil's Playground. Um, I don't, you know, it's a church group in this thing called the Devil's Playground, but it's just what it was called because of how it looked when lightning hit the canyon. And so we're going through this, and near the beginning of the canyon, there was this slot. looked very similar to this. And so the leader of our program, his name is Joe Couch, he you know, got up, went through, got to the other side. And he was like, okay, who wants to come next? I am very claustrophobic. So I was like, I wanna get this over with as soon as possible, I'll go next. So I climb up, I get to about that part, you know, similar to where you see it's, it's wider, and I slipped. And at one point, I, I turned, and my face, my nose is touching the rock. And my back of my head is touching rock behind me. And I'm stuck. And I'm like, OK. And I remember that my leader, Joe, looked at me, and he could see the fear in my eyes. And he knew that if I started to freak out, he wouldn't be able to get me out. And there is no other way. I don't even know what the process for like machinery to get somebody out of that. I don't know what that would look like. He knew that the only way I was going to get out is to get myself out. And so he looked at me and he said, Julia, no, you are okay. And I'm going to get you out. You are going to get through this. And that very firm moment was what kept me from having a panic attack and freaking out and crying and screaming and wiggling and making it probably worse for myself. And instead, he went through the process with me step by step. It took about an hour for me to get out of the slot in order to shimmy myself up so that I could get out and get through the other side. But because Joe had already gone through it, he knew exactly where I needed to put my feet. He knew where I needed to put my hands in order to get myself out of this bad situation. <laughs> And that, to me, honestly, is one of the most beautiful pictures of discipleship that I've ever experienced in my life. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about discipleship, which I like to define as you're leading someone spiritually closer to Jesus. And often it's through things that you yourself have been through or very similar situations that you've been through so that you can give them wisdom, so that they can learn from your mistakes, so that you can give them encouragement when they need it. And even sometimes you can say, hey, no, <laughs> we're not going to freak out. We're going to get through this because sometimes we need that firm hand in moments where we just want to give up and let it all go. We need discipleship because the greatest amount of growth in our life happens in community. It doesn't just happen by ourselves, us figuring things out for ourselves, but it happens when people come alongside us and keep us accountable and can guide us through and tell us where to put our feet and where to put our hands. And I hear really common excuses in the church of why people feel like they can't disciple others. And so I'm going to go through, I think I've narrowed it down to the three most common excuses I hear. And the first is, I don't know enough. You know, you think, I'm not qualified for this. I haven't been to seminary. I don't have the training. Well, the fact of the matter is that none of us know enough, whether even somebody who's been to seminary and has been a Christian all their life, they don't know everything. They're not perfect. 
but everybody is further along on their journey than somebody else. Even the person who gave their life to God yesterday, they're further on their journey than the person who's giving their life to God today. And there are things that we have learned, there are experiences that we've had, wisdom that we've gained, and even mistakes that we've made that other people need to hear in order to get through what they're going through right now. The second excuse I hear is I don't have enough time. That's a really, really common one. Like, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I can't do it. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of an encouragement and maybe a little bit of an admonishment in that. The encouragement is that discipleship can look different in different seasons. I have had mentors who I met with once a month, and we met for about an hour, and that was the only time I really spoke to them because that is what they had, that was what they were able to give. I've also had members who had a lot more capacity and we met every single week for two hours and we were texting all throughout the week. And there's, I've had everything in between. And one is not bad and one is not good. It's just when you are able to communicate up front and be honest with yourself about what do I truly have the capacity for that you know what you can give to someone else. And okay, the little bit of the admonishment is we all have the same number of hours in the day. You can say that you don't have time, but you're prioritizing things over other things. And again, we have to be honest with ourselves about are there things that we are prioritizing that maybe shouldn't get a higher priority than pouring out to others. And the third excuse I hear is I don't know where to start or what to do. And this is fair, I definitely get this. It can be really daunting to, to get someone who, you know, maybe they come to you and they say, hey, like, can you, can you mentor me? Can you disciple me? And you're like, well, okay, what do we do? You know, and you're like sitting together and you're twiddling your thumbs. Well, there are like, is an amazing number of resources available. You could Google discipleship resources and I can't even tell you the number of things that will come up. And there's, like, there's also a number of things that you can do. You, it doesn't have to look one specific way where you sit together at a coffee shop and you're reading the Bible. It can be different things for what you're passionate about and what you feel good at. So it can be doing a Bible study together. It can also be reading a book and discussing it. Or maybe you listen to a podcast and discuss it. Maybe you follow a prayer challenge together. Maybe you have a similar hobby. You're like, hey, we're going to go for a hike together. And then on the hike, we're going to talk about our spiritual journeys. And we're going to you know, give wisdom and encouragement. And it can be different things in different seasons depending on what the person that you're mentoring needs and depending on what it is that you have to offer. And you do have something to offer. I think that we get a lot of self-deprecation in the church of, I don't feel like I have enough. I don't feel like I'm the right person for this. And I'm telling you right now, it's a lie from the enemy. You have been through so much and you have learned things and you have wisdom that people need to hear. And we have such a need, like our church currently is starving for people who have, they're going through their journeys and they feel like they're alone. They feel like they're the only one who's been through this. And if they could have someone come in and say, no, I've been where you're at. It's okay. I'm going to help you get through this. I'm going to help guide you. I'm going to help you get what you need. Even just to know you're not alone is so huge. We think about, okay, so why does it actually matter that I disciple? Like, why do I even really need to disciple? 
And the truth is that if you are saved, you are called to disciple. Matthew 18, 18 through 20, you probably know it. It's the Great Commission. It's a really common verse, but it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I really love this section because it really encompasses the core of what we need to know about discipleship. First, there is a very clear call. He says, go and make disciples. And then he tells us how we're supposed to do it. He says, baptizing them. So, okay, there's a piece of being a part of people's salvation stories and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That means being a part of people's sanctification that means that we are teaching people to look like Jesus. And then at the end, there's this beautiful promise that says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I take so much encouragement from that because he's not asking you to step out and do something in your own strength. He's saying, I am with you every step of the way. I will give you what you need. I will give you the wisdom to give. I'll give you the words to say if you just trust me and lean on me. So why do we disciple? Well, number one, as disciples of Christ, we are called to imitate him. Since Jesus discipled, then so do we. Jesus took 12 men and he did life on life with them for three years. And we can't look at that and say, I wanna be like Jesus, but I'm not gonna pour into anyone. That we can't reconcile the two to say we imitate him, but then take this very huge piece of his life and not imitate him in that way. And number two, I believe that discipleship is necessary for growth and maturity in Christ. Colossians 1, 28 through 29 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So there's something that's happening here that when we are in this discipleship process of warning and teaching with wisdom that we are presenting these people as mature in Christ, that there is a maturity that is being developed. And I think that a lot of times in the American church, it can be very individualistic of, okay, well, it's just God and me and that's it until, you know, I get to heaven and then it's God and me. But that's not actually how the Bible frames it. The Bible frames it as we are the church. We together are the bride of Christ. And so even though you are not responsible for the decisions of the person next to you, ultimately that responsibility lies on them. We are together. We are one body. We have stock in one another's lives and spiritual journeys. And we are called to be a part of the building up of that body. And then at the end, like being able to present one another as mature in Christ, that is something that Paul says that he toils and struggles for with the energy that God gave him. So we talked about why it's important to disciple. And now I just want to talk about, okay, now practically, how do we do this? What does this look like? And like I said, it can look different for different people in different seasons. But I think that there are six key things that kind of all need to come together and need to come into play in order for it to be a discipleship relationship that honors God. So the first is walk. 
we have to start with our own relationship with Jesus. We can't take someone somewhere that we haven't been ourselves. We can't say, okay, here you're going to build in this maturity and this character. When you don't have that, you haven't built that yourself. And so, you know, Joe, he had, he was leading me through that slot in the canyon and he knew where to tell me to put my feet because he had already put his, his feet, feet on those spots. spots. He, he already, already knew, knew how, how to get, get out because, because he, he had gone, gone through it first. And so he was able to better lead me because he had gone through it first. And so we have to be able to prioritize our own relationship. If we're not spending time with God and building our own relationship, then our discipleship to a person is going to suffer. Number two is to pray. Pray for a couple of things. One, even just at the start, pray for God to pave the way. I've, done, I've started doing something recently, actually, that is really cool where I've just asked God, I said, hey, who do you want me to pour into? Or who do you want me to ask to pour into me? And God started giving me just faces. And it's really cool because it's always people that maybe I don't necessarily know them super well. I know of them. But once I started entering into that discipleship relationship, I'm like, oh God, like this is perfect. You knew, you knew that they had exactly what I needed in this season. And then the other thing we need to do is we need to pray that God help us as we go and mentor someone because we cannot be enough out of our own strength. We cannot muster up enough wisdom or enough encouragement in order to help someone on their journey. We have to invite the Holy Spirit into that. He is called our wise counselor. He is called our helper for a reason. And God wants us to utilize that in not only our own life, but into pour into the lives of others around us. Number three is to seek and invest. And so this is kind of where the rubber meets the road of like actually mentoring someone. So like I said, like praying to God and saying, okay, God, who do you have for me? Who do you want me to pour into? And then being able to seek that person out and start investing in them. And it doesn't have to start in this like super huge, you don't have to be weird about it. Like don't approach someone you've never met before and be like, hey, can I disciple you? Cause that's weird. So like what you could do is you could say, hey, like, can I get your number? Can we go out for coffee this week? And that's all you have to commit to first because honestly, sometimes things aren't a good fit and that's okay. You don't have to force things if it's not a good fit. I mean, for me personally, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So if someone were going to disciple me and they could only meet at like a coffee shop in between our houses, that wouldn't be a great fit because I have a toddler next to me who doesn't like to sit still for very long and it would just be stressful. And so a better fit is someone where like I can meet at their house or they can meet at mine where Ezra's just able to, you know, run around and be free. And so you have to think about things like schedule and even just like personality things. I think that that one is a little bit... If you really feel like God is calling you to someone and you're like, this is not a good personality fit, but you really feel like God is calling you to that person, I would just continue to pray about it because sometimes he's challenging you to maybe look at something in your own life or maybe there's something that they need from you and that, that personality fit is going to kind of smooth down those edges together. 
So in this time where you're seeking and investing, you can start small, but also I'd say it's really important to come up with a game plan because expectations are really important. When we don't have expectations, we end up getting disappointed. And so we say, okay, this is how often we're gonna meet. And, and it's okay if things change as you go, but to keep that communication open of this is how often we're gonna meet, this is what we're gonna do together, this is what our time is gonna look like. And even just saying, hey, like, this is a discipleship relationship, understanding that there is a pouring into rather than, because discipleship looks different than friendship. They're both very important, but they serve different purposes. And being able to have that clear and honest communication with one another is really key. The fourth thing is to keep the gospel center. And this is really important. I think that, yes, like we can encourage each other and encourage growth in different areas and in different ways. Like you can mentor someone that you work with or, or different things. But if your relationship doesn't keep coming back to the gospel, I don't really think that we can call it discipleship because the purpose of discipleship is spiritual growth. And so if that's not what we're coming back to at the center of everything, of building that relationship with God and helping the person spiritually grow, then I don't know that you could really call it discipleship. And so it's keeping that foundation and that core at the center of everything that you do. It's always the conversations. And I've had mentors who, we've gone through a Bible study together, but I've also had mentors who I just would talk for an hour about everything that was on my mind. And that's what our time looked like together. But it would always circle back to they're giving me verses, they're giving me encouragement, they're praying with me, like they're always encouraging me to turn it back to Christ. So whatever your time looks like together, keeping the gospel center is really key. And the fifth thing is to prepare. So we are called to expand the kingdom of heaven and how that happens is not just by you going out and pouring into, but you're making disciples who also make disciples. And so it's really important to teach the people that you're pouring into how to then turn around and pour into others. And you don't, you know, it doesn't have to be right away. Like the first time you meet, you're like, okay, now who are you going to disciple? But it's like, after time, that is what that should naturally turn into. Um, I have a really cool story. So there's this girl that I have been mentoring for about eight years now. She's super close to my heart. She's an awesome, beautiful girl. She's in college now, which feels very weird. I started discipling her when she was in sixth grade. And we met together for several years. And uh, after about four or five years, she came to me and she was like, Julia, I met this girl at my school and she just gave her life to God, but like she wants to read the Bible, but doesn't know how. So she and I are going to study James together. And I was like, okay, Lord, like, oh, that right there, like that is such a beautiful moment of reward where I was like, yes, like I felt like, okay, God, like whatever piece I did that was a part of that, like, thank you, because that's something is done right. That she was then able to take our time together and turn it into pouring into someone around her. And even though it was someone who was her age, she was in her grade, she was further along in her spiritual journey than this girl. And so they were studying the Bible together and this girl was able to 
encourage her and ex help explain things to her and help ask her questions and see things. And I just think that that's a really cool picture of like, I have a spiritual grandkid, you know, that, that it's not just, you know, I'm a spiritual mother, but that my spiritual child is a spiritual mother. And I think that that's so cool. And that is definitely something that we should be aiming for. And the sixth, the final thing is to hold loosely. And this is really hard, but it's really important. And what this means is that there is a season for everything. Ecclesiastes 3.1 talks about, you know, that there is a season for this, there's a season for that, there's a season for rejoicing, there's a season for mourning, there's a season for this and that. And, and I really think that that's true even in mentoring that sometimes we can get these expectations of, you know, okay, well then this is gonna last forever because this is such a good fit. And that's just not realistic. Um, things don't last forever. Things change, people change, people move away. You know, people get jobs, people have kids, things change. And that means that our mentoring relationship is gonna change too. And if we're able to hold it with open hands of God, I want to be obedient to you doing whatever you want in the season that you have this. We're able to then love freely without an agenda for people because often when we get really like, when we hold something too tightly because we're afraid to let it go, then when things change, we can get really bitter. And honestly, that is something that I've been through a couple of times. Even when I was just after high school, I had a mentor who she mentored me for about a year and then she got pregnant and had her first child. And she had no idea what to expect. And so she's like, yeah, we're going to be able to keep meeting and, and all of this. And I, I don't hold it against her now, but at the time it's, you know, she had a baby and she was not able to keep meeting. And I just got really bitter because I was like, oh, I feel like I've been abandoned and, you know, whatever. And, and I think that that's when it comes into play, like one, the, the open communication about your capacity and what you're able to do. And, and number two, being able to just remain surrendered and say, if things change, that's okay. And it doesn't negate what we did before. It just means that things have changed. And so it's cool because then, you know, my most recent mentor, we met together for, I guess it was a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. And uh, we were both stay-at-home moms. And then after her kid went into school, she ended up getting a job. And um, I remember she like kind of, I could tell like she felt guilty about like, oh, I'm sorry that like I can't keep meeting together because I've got this job now. But because I'd had that experience and I felt like I'd learned from being able to hold things loosely, I felt like I was able to truly be really free and say, it's okay. Like it's, it's okay that this was a season and maybe at some point it will continue and God will bring us back together and maybe not. And that's okay because I think that something that's really important that we have to learn is we have to be able to trust God. We have to be able to trust God for the people that we mentor. And we have to be able to trust God for the people that mentor us. And if you're a parent, I think that you kind of know it's like a terrifying but really important thing to be able to trust God with your kids of like, at the end of the day, I can't control everything and they're going to make their own decisions and they're going to go their own ways. And God, I have to trust that you're holding this person and that you're holding me. And it's the same thing in our mentoring relationships that you have to trust that God is holding you, that God is holding that person. And even even if things change, even if you go separate ways, that God still has a plan and he's still working. So like I said, there's, there's no one right way to disciple. 
different people have different schedules. They have different capacity, different styles. But when we remain obedient to God's will for our life, we get to share in the joy of watching him work in someone else. And we know that it's not us who changed someone, but it's God who changed them. But let me tell you, watching people have breakthroughs, it's truly probably the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced here on earth. That when I get to see someone say, oh, wait, and they something clicks and something comes together and they get the truth. And you're like, man, like, God, I got to be a part of that. And you used me to be able to like now, like I get a piece of that story for the rest of my life that wherever they go, I got to be able to share in that joy and in that experience. And it's such a gift. I think that so many times we can take it as like this duty to disciple, but I promise you it's such a gift, especially in those moments where you get to see the breakthrough and discipleship is something where it's a lot of sowing. It's a lot of working, but you do get to see the harvest because you are in that personal relationship with someone. You're doing life on life and you get to see their breakthroughs. You get to see the moments of healing, the moments of freedom. And it's really, really cool. So I want to give you guys uh, a couple of resources. Like I said, um, I know that it can be kind of daunting and overwhelming to say, okay, I want to start meeting with someone, but like, what do we do in our time together? So I just have a couple of suggestions, um, things that have worked really well for me over the years. I've been mentoring for about uh, 11 years now, I guess. And uh, these are just things that I've done over the years. So the first is... Precept Ministries Bible Studies. I love these things so much. K. Arthur writes them. It's just precept.org. And it's basically a Bible study that teaches you how to study the Bible. And they have every book of the Bible and they have different levels of different time commitment that you're able to do. So it's just, it's really awesome. I highly recommend you check it out, especially if you're wanting to study the Bible with someone. That's a really good one. Uh, the Bible Project has podcasts and videos and they actually also have online classes now. So that is something that you could go through with someone. You could say, hey, we're gonna you know, listen to a podcast on our own time, then we're gonna get together and we're going to discuss it. Um, and those are just amazing. I truly believe that they're changing like Western Christianity, the way that um, Western Christians look at the Bible. They're doing amazing work. Uh, another really great podcast is Jenny Allen made for this. That's a really great podcast. I've been listening to it for a while. Uh, also one I didn't put on here that's really good. Uh, Craig Groeschel has a really awesome leadership podcast. It's a little more like business oriented. If that's something that you're looking for, uh, and then I have two books on here, which you can, I mean, there's so many books out there and I definitely would recommend kind of looking into a book before you go into it with someone. But these are two really awesome ones, especially if you're just looking to like lay that foundation of a, a relationship with God, a foundation of faith with someone. So the first is Case for Christ by Lee Strobel and the second is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Basically what they do is they just go through kind of point by point the basics of our faith and why lots Logically, they actually make sense. Um, it's really cool. Highly recommend. Even if you don't read it with someone, I just recommend reading those because they're so good. So I've talked about mostly pouring into people, but something that I actually also believe is really important is being poured into. And I can truly say the times of greatest growth in my life are when I've had someone discipling me and when I've been discipled but when I, and when I've also been discipling someone. Um, 
so it's kind of a, an illustration that if you know the Dead Sea, uh, the reason why it's called the Dead Sea is because it has several rivers that are flowing into it, but it doesn't flow out anywhere. And so nothing flourishes and life doesn't grow and it's just dead. And I think that can be a really common picture for a lot of us because we come to church and we hear the preacher speak and we, you know, we listen to podcasts and we read books and we, all of the things and we're getting poured into, but it's like a bucket. Like if you're just pouring into a bucket, it's just overflowing and it's not going anywhere and it's not going to grow anything versus if we could be a pipe <laughs> rather than a bucket, we are getting flowed into and then we are pouring that back out. And that honestly is where life flourishes when we have both of those things going on. And on the other side, if you're only ever pouring out and you're not getting poured into, well, imagine what a lake would be like if it was only ever pouring out. It's going to dry up like that. And it's not going to have anything to give. And so we need both of those elements. We need to be poured into and we also need to be able to pour back out because that is when life flourishes, when we have both. So I want to encourage you that the ask, that who is asking is not actually the more important thing. I have been mentored by people who I have asked them to mentor me. I've been mentored by people who asked if they could mentor me. I have mentored people who I asked if I could mentor them, and I've mentored people who have asked if I could mentor them. And so I've, I've basically had where the ask has gone both ways, both directions. And I want to tell you, it has not made a difference who did the asking. The most important thing is the fact that the question was asked. Because I have asked people... I've asked several people to be my mentor and not yet once have I gotten a no. It's okay if you do get a no, like I just, but I do want to tell you, I have not yet once had someone say, no, I can't. And I've also asked several people to, if I could mentor them, I have gotten a few no's from that. Um, or just, you know, someone's like, yeah, but then you could tell they're not really into it. And that's maybe another point to make is that both people do have to be invested in order for the relationship to work because otherwise it is just going to fizzle out. And so I just want to say that, that the fact that I have gotten yeses more often than noes leads me to believe that people want to be poured into and people want to pour into others. But if everybody is waiting to be asked, nothing's going to happen. And so we have to be the ones to ask. We have to be the ones to say, hey, can I pour into you? Or hey, can you pour into me? We have to get the courage. And it is, it's scary and it's weird and it's hard, but it's so rewarding and it's so, so worth it. Imagine what your life would look like if you were having both of those, of getting poured into and pouring out. Imagine what life would look like to have what you would consider a flourishing spiritual life. I think that that's a really cool thing. So we're going to go into a time of communion. We do this every week just because it's a place that we can come to together. And it's a place of remembrance. You know, when Jesus introduced the idea of communion, he said, take, take the cup, take the bread, do this in remembrance of me. And that's all that communion is. It's just coming back to a place of remembering the gospel and a place of gratitude. 
And so as you go through communion, we have communion tables around the room. We also have places where you can write a prayer that's just between you and God, you can put it in the jar, and then you can also light a candle. Candles have been shown throughout history as sending prayers up to God. And so we have that for you. And as you go through this communion moment, I want you to pray and ask God two questions. The first is who is someone I can reach out to that could pour into me? That you ask God to give you a face, give you a name. And I'll tell you, sometimes I've prayed that and it's been a couple of months before God has given me an answer. So we just remain faithful and keep praying and keep asking. And the second is who is someone that I can pour into? Ask God to give you someone. And it, it doesn't have to be, like I said, a specific thing. Like we can pour into kids. We can pour into teenagers. We can pour into young adults. Like whatever season of life that you're ahead of, that you feel passionate about pouring into the next generation, even just spiritually, the next generation, asking God, who do you have for me? Who is someone? And I think you'll be surprised often how you'll see something that you'll be like, oh yeah, this was the connection point. I can see this is why God put us together. This was the thing. This was the area we're similar. This is the area that I needed to be challenged or that they needed to be challenged. And so if we just ask God and trust him to give us someone and then ask God, okay, God, what's my capacity? What can I offer? Truly what what do I have to give? And, and he'll give it to you. I promise when we're faithful and obedient to ask, he is faithful and obedient to answer. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll go ahead and take communion. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're good. I thank you that you use people to reach people. God, I thank you for the incredible influence that mentors have had in my life. God, I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to be a part of your work and other people. God, I ask that you give us the courage to spread your kingdom, to spread your life, that we would experience life flourishing in our own and that we could give that flourishing life to others. I ask that whatever people need, whatever the challenge they need to hear, just ask that you would solidify it today. Keep it on their minds. Don't let them forget it or push it away. If they felt a nudge of something needing to be done, God, give them the courage to do it even just today of, of pulling someone aside and saying, hey, can I grab your number? Hey, can we get coffee this week? Whatever it is that people need to do, God, I ask that you give them the courage and the strength to do it. We love you and we worship you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, We'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, 
You can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.